Welcome to Balthazar, Beauty, Goodness, Truth, a series of conversations about the life and teachings of Swiss theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar, who is considered to be one of the most important Catholic intellectuals and writers of the 20th century. Incredibly prolific and diverse, he wrote over 100 books. He is also co-founder with Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger of the acclaimed theological journal, Communio. It is the purpose of this series of programs to introduce some of the themes of Balthasar's work, and perhaps to help some understand better why Hans Urs von Balthasar is so important for modern theology and for the lived experience of the Church today. Balthasar, Beauty, Goodness, Truth. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. In this episode, I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Anthony Lillis, Academic Dean of St. Patrick's Seminary, located in Menlo Park, California. Dr. Lillis is the author of numerous books on the spiritual life and is widely considered a scholar of the Carmelite mystical tradition. We now begin part three of our conversation with Dr. Anthony Lillis. He goes on in making the meditation to describe uh, in number two, the silent word. And he gives us an image, Anthony, that is, I mean, yeah, this is Balthazar (laughs) we're talking about. He's always going to give you something that you really have to ponder. And I use that Marian imagery, the word ponder, because he is such a lover of of the Blessed Virgin Mary and, and all he does. So I imagine for him that the action of pondering is very real to him. But having said that, He says that the spoken word is like the point of a triangle on the ground that opens upward into the infinite. What do you think about that particular imagery that he's using? Again, the context of it, this, you know, this builds on the, this whole first part of this, of this section of his work, that whole first part, it culminates to realize that the personal presence of Jesus is a presence that gazes upon me with love, to gaze on what contemplation is. And I'm going to be able to contemplate because Jesus is contemplating me. And he's the one who beholds me and knows me, knows me better than I know myself. It's from that standpoint, then, this image of the triangle, you have scriptural event. He'll actually use the finding of the Lord Jesus in the temple. In this middle section, he's actually going to talk about the silence of God. So you you can also use the great silence of God, his silence on the cross, or you can use all the silences that led up to it. Every time he has an argument with the, the Pharisees, it ends in silence. If you might think about it in your own heart, in your own prayer, there are things that you get convicted of in prayer, and it silences you. And here's the thing. This is where the concrete opens up to uh, the infinity. A word can only communicate so much. Jesus beholds you with love, and he gives you a word. And the word sometimes silences us because it chastens us about what's going on in our hearts. But it's about so much more than that chastening moment. He chastens us only to avail us to a greater love. He looks on us with love when he chastens us, just like he looked upon us with love when he chastened 
uh, the Pharisees. He loved them, but he chastens them because he wants them to know the Father. And the Father's love is so much greater than this particular moment I have right now. To encounter him is to allow this present moment to all of a sudden become vulnerable to all of eternity, to the unchanging immensity of the Father's merciful love. And if I let the Lord who looks upon me communicate himself to me through this text in that way that opens me up to this great mystery, I can be taken past my momentary resistance to his love and brought into a much deeper place of trust. Yes, my life will need to change and it will be painful. It will be humiliating and I will need to deal with all kinds of hostility and resistance to him because there's something in me that needs to change. But the immensity of his love is so much greater than my resistance in the moment that if I will trust him, he can take me through that. And this is what happens. This is kind of the great contest, if you will, in Christian prayer. In Christian prayer, after you read the scripture and so forth, and you understand what it's saying, now I want to have this encounter with the Lord. Well, oftentimes the reason why people aren't writing about this encounter is at first blush, this encounter is it's painful. And you're inducted suddenly into the, the silence of the Lord that sobers and humbles you all at once about who you are and where you stand. We've got to kind of look at this. What, what does this mean? What needs to change in my life as a result of this look of love that I've been given in this concrete particular situation? And so we look at Jesus, and Jesus is silent. He's waiting for us to choose. That decision that we make before the silence of the Lord, it's, it's, it's defining of who we are. It's defining of where we are in the whole story of salvation in this, in, and in this particular biblical passage. Do you see, this is so much more than, you know, I use my imagination to reproduce the biblical scene. There's nothing wrong with that. The composition of place is a helpful thing. But what Vambalthasar wants you to do is he wants you to submit your heart to Jesus who's manifest here. In this concrete particular scene, you have an opportunity to surrender your heart to Jesus in a singular, unrepeatable way. And when you do, all of heaven suddenly opens up before you. It is uh, powerful, this immense love of God, this love that surpasses all understanding. So in this section then, he's inducting us, from Balthasar is inducting us away from a kind of meditation where we're in control and we understand everything that's going on. And so I'm going to think about these three moral points in my meditation, and then I'm going to make these uh, two or three resolutions about how I can grow in this particular virtue that's a helpful thing to do. It's it's a moral thing to do, but it can avoid this encounter with the Lord because you're in control the whole time. It's all about what you understand and what you're going to do about what you understand. When he talks about 
this word being spoken to us, opening up eternity before us, there's a sober silence that leads us to fall down in adoration before the word, who is so much more than us. And in that silent adoration, he's communicating powerful things to us, but things no word can convey. Uh, things for which there is no earthly language to describe. And he wants this to flow in, but the only way it can flow in is if we enter into his silence with him. And this silence culminates at the cross, his last wordless cry. But the beginning point of this silence, if we really want to discover it, is his mother Mary. Uh, Mary, who, who pondered all these things in her heart, Mary, who listened to the words of an angel, and uh, in that silence, conceived the word in her heart before she conceived him in her womb. She bore him in her heart before he was incarnate in, uh, physically in her womb. Similarly for us, we need to receive this word in the silence of our heart before it can be shown forth through the way we live our lives. And so Mary becomes a model for us on how to enter in the silence. And that's the beginning of her silence. And that silence takes her from that, that first moment where the Father overshadows her and the Holy Spirit, by his power, she conceives the word of the Father in her womb. She's conceived him in her heart first. All of that happens in a powerful moment of silence. And that moment of the silence, uh, on one hand, is a reference point for how we should respond to prayer in prayer. Let it be done to me according to your will, O Lord. But that's just the beginning. It culminates on the cross when she's standing with the disciple whom he loved, standing underneath the cross listening to his last wordless wordless cry and breathing his last um, she fully enters into that silence so deeply a sword pierces her heart she shares in jesus his immense love for us bearing away our sins she knows what's going on in the heart of jesus she's entered the silence completely and because of that, then, she's prepared for the resurrection of the Lord, the new life that is to come in a way that no other creature is. The resurrection is this new life, this new beginning, this new creation of heaven and earth. It's, it began in her before it began anywhere else. She passes from being the mother of the Messiah to becoming the mother of the church. And just as she takes that journey, we too, this silence of the word is going to take us on the similar journey. It's going to take us from a moment of the Annunciation where Jesus first speaks into our hearts. And it's going to take us all the way to the moment of the cross where his new life is born within us. Um, what I really appreciate in all this, Anthony, is towards the end of this particular section in section two, he will affirm much of what he has come to understand about the silence through his deep 
reading of the spiritual exercises of his close, close friend, I'd have to say, St. Ignatius of Loyola, his founder in the community, in the reading of his letters. And he, he talks about, just as you said, it is a, it's a remedy for those who may feel their spirit has become inflated with pride and vainglory. The silence is something that you know, learning how to discern the ability to be able to, is it, could you say, rest in that presence? And, mm. and that's a struggle. It can be a suffering. You know, we, we want to put words to it. We want to, ultimately, this goes back to, as you said, you can't have techniques, and it's not about getting you to a spiritual high mm-hmm. or, or making yourself feel something. Sometimes you're just going to have to rest like Our Lady with the silence of the moment. Would that be a fair thing to say? Yeah, I, I think he talks in this uh, chapter to get to what you're mentioning. He speaks about aridity. He actually says this. He says, the one who meditates is before a text that is mere printed word and does not open out to any spiritual inner space and perhaps not even to a living presence. The soul finds itself, quoting the exercises, completely indolent, tepid, sad, as though separated from its creator. What he's describing here is a movement of of desolation. Can we speak of a silence of the word here? In a certain sense, sense, yes. Since the word does not seem to want to disclose itself of itself, this condition, as we are taught, can have several causes. And so now he goes into the causes. I've talked about the personal presence, and I talked about encountering uh, the Lord in the Word. This is kind of a responsible part. This it's a sobering part, and that is there are oftentimes we go to meditate, and when we go to the text, it seems like nothing's happening. Why is nothing happening? If all of these other things, Mary going to the cross and this whole journey, we didn't even get to Holy Saturday and the descent into hell and all of that. If all of that is going on here and this whole drama of salvation is going out and I go to the text and I read the text and nothing happens, what's going on there? Is that also the silence of the Lord? And he says, well, perhaps. And uh, he says there's three causes. The first might be our own fault because we are tepid, indolent, and negligent in our spiritual exercises. In other words, we <laughs> we we don't approach the exercises the way we ought. And how how do you approach the exercises? And and quite apart from the mechanics of choosing what you're going to choose and making sure you have time for silence and that you're faithful to it and that kind of thing. Quite apart from all of that, there's also the whole asceticism of our life. If we're not living a regular life of prayer, if we're not fasting, if we're overindulging and watching in uh, in entertainment or food or anything else, uh, if we're not treating people like uh, as we should as Christians and not doing any corporal or spiritual works of mercy, when we come to prayer, our prayer is going to be empty. Sometimes God, just like he did for Archbishop Anthony Bloom will in an extraordinary way come to you and try to win your heart over. But at a certain stage, if your life isn't changing and you're just continuing on as you've always continued on, your prayer is going to be dry. You know, sometimes uh, uh, I know one spiritual director told me, when I hear somebody tells me their prayer, 
their prayer is dry in the morning, I ask them what they ate the night before. Depending on what they ate and drank, there's usually a reason why they're dry in the morning. We have to be so uh, disciplined. We're, the reason why we're disciplined about what we eat and drink and, and how we carry on with entertainment and so forth, we're disciplined uh, about that, not simply because we want to live a good moral life that people respect. We're disciplined about that because when we're, we aren't, it interferes with our ability to receive the word and we enter into aridity we don't need to have. Uh, it may well be welled by the Lord in order to see whether we'll make an effort to penetrate into, into his depths, even without his perceptible help. So the other reason why we might have aridity in prayer is the Lord is testing us. And this is a very Ignatian uh, teaching. He allows desolation. Uh, desolation, von Balthasar reminded me, I, I found it in the text, the soul means son. And it means to take the sun away. And sometimes the Lord removes the sun of his presence, the sunlight of his presence, shining on our soul to test us. And anyone who knows the life of Anthony by St. Athanasius remembers how the Lord allowed St. Anthony to be brutally tested. Why didn't you come and help me, Lord? And Jesus said, I was with you the whole time, but I wanted to see the love that was in your heart. And the reason why then the Lord sometimes allows us to have aridity is because it produces love, a capacity for love in our heart that we cannot learn in any other way. And that love that we learn in that aridity and the sacrifices and hardship is so precious to the Lord. Although he doesn't want us to suffer, he'll permit us to suffer so that that love might be tried and true in us. If love never costs anything, if it's always easy and sweet and kind, it's not really, doesn't mean very much. But a love that has been uh, subjected to hardship and difficulty and trial is beautiful because as Mother Teresa used to say, one cannot love except at one's own expense. So it might be aridity, so that the Lord can teach us a deeper kind of love. And then there's a third. Finally, there may be exacted from us the existential experience that we cannot force entrance into these depths of our own efforts. For it is wholly a gift and grace of God our Lord, and we may not let our spirit become inflated with some kind of pride or vainglory, thinking that we've raised ourselves up to this degree of prayer. In other words, the Lord wants to teach us how to ask. He wants to humble us in our pride because the grace he wants to give to us is so singular and great. Our own pride will ruin it. So he waits until we're humble enough to receive the gift. It's a little bit like the second one where the aridity is helping us. It's building up love in us. And this one, the Lord Rather than building up the lo the love in us, the Lord wants to bestow love on us, but he has to wait until we've entered into the right humble disposition for him to be able to bless us with this beautiful grace. It's a mystical grace that the Lord is preparing you for. And of the three kinds of silences, connect with what St. John of the Cross talks about in terms of the dark night. 
this third kind of silence is comes closest to what St. John of the Cross talks about in the dark night. This concludes part three of our conversation with Dr. Anthony Lillis, discussing Hans Urs von Balthasar's Christian Meditation. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with many other episodes of this particular series, visit bonbalthazar.com. There, too, you can also access numerous audio excerpts from this particular book, along with others, in the Balthazar Library. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will consider subscribing to this particular podcast and liking it on whatever platform you may be hearing it on. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about bonbalthazar.com and join us for the next episode of Balthazar, Beauty, Goodness, Truth.